Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yakshamash, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter and... It is game day. We are recording live on a Saturday morning. Hope you guys all are enjoying the somewhat warmer weather here in Wisconsin. I was supposed to get up around 85 today here in Madison alone. And uh, I know that hopefully there's some good driving conditions for my partner in crime, my Polish prince on the phone. We have the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski. Scott, how's the driving through America's heartland? Uh, so far, so good. Um, I'm beyond the heartland now, though. I'm, I'm definitely in the south now. So, uh, I'm in near Knoxville, Tennessee, and all I could get on the radio before uh, we started the show was Tennessee uh, Volunteers football coverage. So, um, yeah, it's it's underway. They did have the Vols did have that good come from behind win against Georgia Tech a couple of weeks ago. That was. Impressive considering Georgia Tech was seemingly dominating. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, but yeah, college. Oh, here's, What's up? Here's an interesting tip I'll just give you from the coverage. They're playing Florida. You know, that's always a rivalry for them. Um, Florida hasn't been shut out in over 300-plus games, and the Volunteers haven't been shut out in the 270 games. So if you're a betting man, don't bet on a shutout. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best thing to tell you. But... You know, and thank you guys all for listening. What we're going to do today, we'll play some audio from, I interviewed Leon Jacobs earlier this week on Tuesday, and so you'll hear from Leon Jacobs about the defense, about Andrew Van Ginkle and uh, what they're looking to do uh, at outside linebacker. Uh, obviously, we're talk about the Brewers in a little bit. Big win against Miami. They are technically on the road, but they're at home because of the effects of Hurricane Irma and, and what's happened there. And hopefully everyone is well uh, after the hurricane. Uh, we'll also talk some Packers. Obviously, big su- Sunday night game in Atlanta, and uh, be a nice some prime time viewing there tomorrow evening. But you know, let's start off because it's the most recent. You know, it's coming up today, 2:30 p.m. Central Standard Time, or daylight time, whatever you want to call it. ABC. Watch ESPN. Uh, you can also listen to it on the Badger Sports Radio Network uh, with our friends, you know, Matt LePay. Mark Tosher and Mike Lucas. It is the Wisconsin Badgers, number 10 in the AP poll, heading to Provo, Utah to take on the BYU Cougars in a a game that, you know, on paper, Scotty, they look like they should win. It's, but they haven't really put together a complete game yet through two games against kind of inferior competition, obviously. Uh, But they head out to Utah where their offensive line, the health is, questionable at, at best with two of their starting guards. One is definitely out, the other one questionable. Uh, but they're also facing a BYU team that has an anemic offense. That's been the adjective to describe BYU's offense underneath Ty Detmer. Uh, but also, I mean, they have a stout front seven, 
but that offense underneath for BYU, I mean, that's uh, they should come away with a win. But you know, what are you thinking heading into Saturday's game? Well, first of all, it seems to be a trend with with state college uh, uh, football teams. Badgers have two banged up guards. Packers have two banged up tackles. The Badgers have sustained a lot of injuries early on, um, and we talked about this six weeks ago. The only thing that could stop the Badgers, I thought, were injuries, and they've had their fair share already. That said, I think they still win this game, but I think you're going to see moments again where they struggle in different facets of the game offensively, and it's not because they don't have the talent. Again, it's you know trying to figure out the right uh, rotations and, and the injuries and things they've gone through. Um, but they should win this game, but you know, you're, you've touched on it. You're, we're waiting to see the complete game, right? We're waiting to see the Badgers come out and play 60 minutes of dominant football um, as they you know, are, are literally on the cusp of the Big Ten season starting for them. So maybe this is the game they do it, but it's going to be tough with you know, two banged-up offensive linemen. Again, they should still be able to score points, but I don't think you'll see them win by it. 28 points or anything like that just because of that. Um, but I expected to win, and I expected them to win by a little bit more last week, too. And, you know, I, I'm of the belief, and I say this all the time when we talk about the NFL, win's a win. It doesn't matter. You don't get style points. In college, though, you kind of do get style points. As you saw, the Badgers dropped one spot, even though they were really were never in doubt of losing that game last week, but they still lost the spot in the poll. So you'd like to see them just get that one where they just throttle somebody and, and, and kick their butts up and down the field for 60 minutes. I just don't know that that's going to happen today. Right. I mean, I think it, 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 I know I, you hit it on the head, and it's one thing that you know they're they're talking and, and yeah, the wins. I mean, they're comfortable wins for Wisconsin, obviously with Utah State after overcoming that 10 point difference and then scoring obviously the 59 unanswered points in week one and then now you're heading into you know with florida atlantic and florida atlantic played their tails off and they took advantage of the miscommunication in the secondary where both dakota dixon and nick nelson thought they were having the same coverage but then that left uh, deandre mcneil open for that 63 yard touchdown i i really you know but it, it, you know like you said injuries you know the, the deetson's just has been banged up uh, the left guard, John Deetson, starting left guard, has been banged up seemingly throughout, you know, his career where, you know, he's dealt with those injuries uh, and he was out for the spring or with an ankle, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a, this is a team that, you know, you're looking at Micah Kapoy, who thankfully they have experience there where uh, Micah Kapoy, you know, I talked to him earlier in, in fall camp. He looked better. He, you know, Joe Rudolph, really applauded just the, the conditioning that he was in this year. Uh, and, you know, and he's played well. Uh, you know, I think the bigger question, I think that, I mean, if he goes in at left guard, that's fine. Benchwall is the bigger question. If he can't go, which he's practiced all week, or at least has received reps according to the coaching staff. That means that it sounds like he's doing the work necessary to be in the game plan and, and then uh, make the, you know, his way, you know, hopefully into some playing time. Uh, but if not, you're looking at, you know, Jason Erdman, possibly a walk-on uh, who, you know, he, he got first team reps at left guard when Deetson was dinged up during the, the, the fall camp along with Kapoy. So that, that says something there. Uh, and, and Chris mentioned on Thursday that he has 
trust in him and there's confidence in Erdman uh, and some of his natural abilities. I think he mentioned his strength and whatnot. So we'll see. I mean, that, that played a big part against BYU. Uh, and I think it's like I, said, I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's something where this team really. Uh, I mean, I think the defense is going to have to take over, and it's more of a pro style system. So we'll see how they'd fare against a team that likes to run the ball. And also, you know, we'll see what Bo Hodge, you know, who's Merrill Hodge's son. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it sounds like he's going to get the start over T Tanner Mag Mangum, even though BYU's not commenting on it. Uh, you know, that's their policy apparently. But uh, yeah, I don't. I think it's. I mean, the point spread is was it like 16 and a half, 17 and a half right now? Uh, you know, and talking with our friends with ESPN Madison yesterday, I told them, you can't. You know, I, I go. I'm, I'm saying 27-13 right now. I just. I think there's still some things to work out. I think injuries, you know, it's not going to be at the 357-yard effort again, you know, against the Cougars as it was against the Owls on the ground. So I, you know, I think it's going to be close. I think Wisconsin should win comfortably, but like I said, style points. I'm not sure, man. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the same ballpark. I was thinking like 27-10. So I actually had a cover in the spread, I guess. But but yeah, to that point, you know, this is a the struggles on offense will, will continue. I don't think that, the other thing is I don't think they're long term. I, I think that they'll figure this out. I think that you know you'll see the offense start doing some things that that they're capable of doing. I just you know you're right. It, it, you know they're going on the road and you know BYU kind of been a tough place to play for many teams uh, you know in the past. So but we'll see. But uh, what? Other than the injuries and, and seeing if the offense can get started, defensively, other than a few big plays, I haven't been overly concerned about um, the defense. You know, but what other than the, the, the injured players and some of the other things, what do you think is the biggest X factor in this game, and what will you be looking for? Because I know you're, when you watch the game, it's not just watching what's going on with the scoring plays. You're you're kind of keeping your eye on, on different things. What, what's one of the things you're going to be looking at? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at with, with when it comes to this game in particular, I mean, I think defensive communication, you know, is, is a big key. Uh, when it looks at, you know, we talked about the 63-yard touchdown they gave up. That was because, you know, basically both Dixon and uh, Nick Nelson, the Hawaii transfer, thought they were – covering uh you know it looked like short like it was more zone when it should have been it wasn't relayed properly to nelson that it's you know he had man coverage on mcneil and that play does probably doesn't happen and we're probably not talking about the, the alignment issues and whatnot but that's what pace-based offense does i want to see what they do against byu their communication and uh, in, in adjusting to to bo hodge you know or, yeah merrill hodge yeah bo hodge and and so I think that's the big thing I'm looking for is, you know, even like from the press box last week, you could see that, you know, Florida Atlantic could have had a big play on a third and four early on, like second series of the game, because they only had one defensive back over to a side where they had two wide receivers. But, you know, Daniel Parr, the uh, the quarterback for the Owls, just he hesitated and or grabbed the sack. So it, you know, I think I want to I want to see how the defense cleans up more. And like I said, I'm not concerned because they only gave up 250 yards last week. They gave up up over 300 against Utah State. But I, I you know they've looked solid. They have the 
tools in place, even without the TJ Watt and the Vince Beagle, uh, in my opinion, that they, they have production available and the players to step in and to be a top five defense. I'm just interested in seeing, I mean, and it's hard to replace guys like Beagle and Watt and also Sitchi, Jack Sitchi for that matter, right? Because, you know, he's, he's the, he was the energy to the defense, as Vince Beagle mentioned last year. So I think, you know, and Jim Leonard's looking for more of the, he said he wants more of the leaders on the defense to stand up uh, when he talked this week during uh, coach availability. So uh, I'm intrigued to see how they, the defense lines up offensively. I want to see the passing game. I want to see Alex Hornibrook step up uh, along with the receivers because uh, another theme was the simple fact that uh, you know Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph talked about you know player the quarterback and and his receivers helping each other. If the ball's a little underthrown, the receiver comes back and, and attacks it to try to make the catch. Uh, you saw that with Danny Davis in the first game against the Aggies. Uh, but you know prime examples drops. Uh, you know. You can't have Troy Fumagalli dropping a third and nine in the third quarter when Hornerbrook puts it in his breadbasket. You know, you can't have uh, A.J. Taylor dropping balls like he did against Utah State. Uh, so it's a thing where you're on the road, though. You know, if you have turnovers, you know, and uh, sloppy play in terms of drops or, or, or stupid procedural penalties, that's what I'll be watching. Like, can, is this team going to be be able to overcome some of those early mistakes? And this is a good team. It's still a top-10 team, and, and they have, like you said, the explosiveness. I'm not worried. It's more just cleaning it up because they have a bye week next week, but then they head into Big Ten play, and even though Northwestern got their butts handed to them by Duke, it really, you're still wondering, you know, like, wondering, you know, it's Big Ten play, it's a whole new season, a whole, basically wipe your slate clean, and you go out and attack for the, you know, the division crown. Uh, you know, they go Northwestern and Nebraska uh, the first two weeks of the Big Ten season, so you want you want more of a complete effort this week heading into the bye, and then hopefully, yeah, I'm granted, I'm not sure how much momentum works in the bye week, but you want to see some signs that things are coming together uh, before they see Northwestern at Camp Randall on September 30th. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's you know you hit it right on the head. You want to, and that's why I said this might be you know you might see some signs of that. But you know you, you did say you know talking about the defense and calling out you know coaching coaches calling out some of the players. But if you take away the sixty-three yard touchdown, uh, the one pass, um, they only gave up. They gave up less than two hundred yards. So you know, so I think you're right. I think the defense is. Less of a concern, minus a few communication breakdowns that we've seen early on. But it is going to be interesting to see what the offense is able to, to do as it builds momentum. And, and Northwestern, as bad as they've looked, and by the way, speaking of bad, I got to listen to the Illinois game uh, yesterday because I was driving through Illinois and Indiana during it. Oh, God, terrible. But anyway, um, but Northwestern has been all, always one of those teams that plays the Badgers hard no matter what where they are in their program the last decade and a half, you know, so uh, again, you'd like to, you know, kind of shake off some of those question marks and those, those doldrums and, and see what they're able to do, but like I said, I think they win this game today, I think the defense is the catalyst, I think the offense is still going to have a few moments where, you know, you kind of scratch your head a little bit and, and ask yourself what, what, what gives this team offensive potential and when will they reach it, and again, they will at some point this year, I just I don't think it's going to be today. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, right now we'll skip some other of the talk uh, with, with the Big Ten. We're, we'll get to a quick conversation. I'll pop this in 
Leon Jacobs, outside linebacker. It's a good uh, four to five minute conversation with the senior and, and talking about the outside linebackers here on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Uh, we're here with Leon Jacobs and you know, heading into the third week. Uh, how are you guys feeling uh, heading, about ready to head out to Provo? feel pretty good. Um, today was the first day of install. I thought we did pretty well. Uh, they look kind of like our offense pro style, so should be what we're used to. Yeah, I mean, how are you guys preparing? Because I know maybe they maybe went a little bit more pace-based against mm -hmm. Portland State in the mm -hmm. first game against the an FCF's mm -hmm. opponent, but then, you know, you've been watching some of the games against LSU and, uh, yeah. and last week against Utah. You're, are you seeing more pro style? And what are you seeing out of that offense altogether? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of pro style. Um, I think in the LSU game, they were like kind of running like a lot of two minutes since they were behind. <laughs> so we're just taking stuff, a little stuff from then in the Utah game. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to um, – when you – the progression for this linebacker group, and you know, through two games, you have you know, three of the teams six sacks, and then also like eight and a half of the 18 tackles for loss between you and Garrett, and also um, Andrew. Like, what have you seen out of your group, your position group so far when watching, rewatching the tape from last week, uh, and then you know, the week before? I think um, effort. You know, yeah. we're always going 100 miles per hour, just trying to make plays. Um, we know what our assignment is. I think that's just half the job because Coach Hughes does a good job of putting us in position to make plays. If you just know what you're doing, then you can make them. When it comes to Andrew's progression, mm -hmm. obviously you know, coming here first time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in this winter spring, like, what, how have you seen him progress from you know the spring up until you know last week now or, or today in practice uh, in terms of his progression uh, to be a you know contributor to the defense? Yeah, I was just telling Jesse. Uh, I think the biggest thing with him is his aggressiveness and his and uh, physical physicality. I think that's improved the most from him. Um, he's always been shifting and stuff, and he's always been a smart player, but I think he's gotten way more physical in the spring. I when think that's helped him. When did you see that the physical that it was just really kind of take shape and, and get more comfortable? Yeah, in fall camp, because in spring he was hurt a little bit, and then he came back. And then in fall camp, I think, as he got more comfortable with the playbook and stuff, yeah, I saw him shedding blocks when people on the ground, and then he did it a couple of times in Utah State and in the last game. So. When, with Andrew, too, did, is there a point where you saw – out from the outside, that he felt more comfortable with, with the defense, and, and then maybe when you get more comfortable, that's when you know you start making those. Moves. Yeah, he really shined uh, our last scrimmage. That's the one, the same scrimmage that Jonathan Taylor shined in. Yeah. yeah, I think he had like three TFLs in that. So I think from since then, he's you know had a, done a good job. Well, for this, for the group, and for yourself, like, what are you guys? How are you guys feeling? You know, with, in terms of just wanting to improve. Like, where are there certain key areas that you guys are are keying in at? Maybe just not just for BYU, but. Yeah, pass rush, uh, the, uh, better job of just transitioning from run to pass. Um, obviously, oh, you can always make more plays, miss tackles, want to limit that. So, yeah. Welcome back, everyone, to Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys check out Bucky's Fifth Quarter for all your Wisconsin Badgers news, notes, and more. And if you guys take a look, uh, thanks again to Leon Jacobs for speaking with us earlier. Uh, that was from Tuesday. And the big thing, uh, make sure you guys check out, uh, we have our How to Watch post up on Bucky's Fifth Quarter, uh, plus my features on Andrew Van Ginkle, one of the outside linebackers that's in the rotation with Garrett Dooley and Leon Jacobs. And then also Adam Bay, because, you know, specialists are people too. We talk about the true freshman's adjustments to the college game. First-year player and talk about how he was backed up uh, in his first career punt, uh, his punt for a long snap there, and uh, how he adjusted from there on end. So uh, make sure you guys check that out. We'll have also coming up probably in the next uh, – well, probably next hour or two we'll have some how the future Badgers fared uh, with the class of 2018. We're putting the, uh, a report up there with uh, some uh, 
interesting uh, interesting highlights from from the prep game. So, but on that note, uh, we go from college over to football. And Scotty, I mean, it seemed like you know, I know the score wasn't that bit large, but you know, it's it, Packers. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, Seattle couldn't get anything done. Russell Wilson and company could not, uh, you know, really move the ball. I mean, you know, and Packers come away. To me, it, I mean, it's the first game of the year, and they have some injuries, like you called out earlier, at on the offensive line, at, especially at tackle, with Bakhtiari and Bulaga questionable. But it's, it was an impressive victory against Seattle on Sunday. No, without a doubt. And, and the thing is, it's just one game, and, and... – you know, it was a really bad day for bad, former Badger quarterback but um, last week. But um, here's the thing. I don't know what to make of it because the defense looked so much improved from the defense that we saw for really the last four years, <laughs> crying out loud. I mean, they looked really good. I, I don't. We're going to find out how good they really are, though, because Atlanta's a different animal at home. Atlanta... Struggled a little bit against the Bears, but they're a team that on turf, that's what they're built for. They're built, they're fast. Uh, they, they can do some things to the Packers secondary uh, last year. So I'm interested to see what the defense is able to do against Atlanta because the defense, quite frankly, might have to do some, uh, make some huge plays in this game because the tackles are banged up. I, they both may not play. Uh, that's going to make it tougher to protect Aaron Rodgers. We'll see if that means they won't be able to get the run game going. Atlanta's defense is um, a little underrated as far as I'm concerned. And the defense is going to have to do some things, be it putting pressure like we saw last week. Um, boy, what a what a game for, uh, for Mike Daniels. I mean, uh, you know, will it be somebody in the secondary continuing to step up? Will Kenny King continue to improve? Because, you know, he had a couple plays last week where he was fine and a couple plays not so much, but again, he's a rookie for, you know, real NFL game. But Atlanta, I just, I think Atlanta wins this game, and I think part of the reason is because even if, if Bakhtiari and Bulaga play, they're going to be banged up. They're not going to be 100%. So, you know, we'll, we'll find out uh, what they're able to do against Atlanta. I still think the Packers are a team that won 13 games this year, and I still think they're a Super Bowl contender even if they lose at home as Atlanta opens their new stadium, which is always a tough environment. By the way, um, Atlanta, I don't know if, you, if you've heard this story, but I think we may have covered it back in the summertime. So one of their concession partners uh, is Chick-fil-A. Yes, and they have Yeah, they have a, a stand, a Chick-fil-A restaurant in the, the new stadium, but it's not open on Sundays. I, just, I, I don't understand that, but I, yeah, I, I, I would love, I mean, I know Aaron Rodgers talked about wanting to have it open and lamenting that earlier uh, this week. I mean, uh, as much, and, uh, you, mean uh, you know, if we do golf on a quick tangent, by the way, and our, our friend Tony Cartagena from ESPN Madison had his, like, what's, what's, you ask, like, what's your top five restaurants? Uh, you know, mine obviously is like Culver's and then like a close second is Chick-fil-A with Culver's beaten out just because of the variety of ice cream and then having butter burgers. But I mean, those are my one and two. And so not having your Chick-fil-A open on game day, it is, I think it's disappointing. I understand the company stands of giving people the day off on Sunday for the day of rest. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, if you're going to have it open, 
Like, if you're going to be at the stadium, where, where do most of the, you know, that game, that, that's exclusively for the Falcons, correct? So are you going to drive yeah. to the stadium just to go to Chick-fil-A on an off day on a Tuesday? I don't know. No, so. because there's, there, there's hundreds of Chick-fil-A's in the greater Atlanta area already. So why would you go out of your way to go to the football stadium to eat at that Chick-fil-A? It doesn't make sense. Unlike the Brewers at Miller Park where they have a TGA Fridays, there's only a couple of those in town. It's a unique experience, and it's open on game days. In Atlanta, again, there's so many Chick-fil-A's. If you can't eat there on game days, why would you go out of your way to, uh, to, to eat there on, on like, uh, regular randomly? It's just silly. And if it was done just from an advertising standpoint, then put up a bunch of signs or buy the naming rights or something. I mean, there's something you could have done that would have made a little bit more sense. Exactly. So, no, it is a um, interesting, to say the least, but uh, it does make me crave Chick-fil-A. By the way, question, Chick-fil-A, better breakfast or better lunch? You know, I'm, I think breakfast. Look, I like Chick-fil-A. I think it's okay. I used to make it a, an appointment stop when I would come down south, but I don't find myself going out of my way for the Chick-fil-A's now that they're open in they're fine. I like their breakfast. I like, here's the thing. I'm always going to default to breakfast. I'm not a huge breakfast guy in general. Like, so, for example, McDonald's has the all-day breakfast, and it really angers me because they don't have all-day regular menu. And I'm like, well, and they say, well, some people want uh, sausage McMuffin at 5 p.m. And I, yeah, some people want a Big Mac at 5 a.m. Why can't you accommodate both? But anyway, I like restaurants that do different options for breakfast. Chick-fil-A, obviously, for chicken. Wendy's has some interesting breakfast options. Because otherwise, you just get sick of the, the McMuffin and the biscuits. You know, I get it. Okay, yeah, I thought the biscuits. Okay, wonderful. So I, I'd say breakfast just because there's some uniqueness to, to their offering. Exactly. So, yeah, no, it's a uh, – I have to say breakfast for Chick-fil-A just because – as much as I enjoy the chicken sandwich and we, you know, my, my day career, we cater out with Chick-fil-A during certain times and, and, and people love it. I still think the breakfast, like if I were on a road trip, like I absolutely, I guess that's the one time my family and I like splurge if we're going down to visit the family like a couple hours away. That's the one time, you know, we leave in the morning, we go and splurge where, you know, go grab some, get the, their chicken bis- biscuit, their tater tots. Like it's good stuff. It's good stuff, and I mean honestly, during the during the summer too, their peach milkshake is delightful. So I mean that's a one. Uh, yeah, I mean that's I don't I'm sure they don't have it anymore, but yeah, whenever they have it, it's I it's a it's a lock for me on my menu. So uh, back to the game. Well, let me ask you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, let me ask you this about the Packer game from last week. Did you feel? I, I mean, I know there's a rivalry with the Packers and the Seahawks, so there was there was already that tension and and whatnot. And as much as I can't stand Pete Carroll, I'm glad some of those calls went against him. It's just, I love it. But anyway, um, honestly, he's probably the guy I dislike the most in all of pro football. But did you feel that there was maybe a different sense of, and I don't know what to attribute it to, but it seems like a more aggressive package. Uh, you know, uh, and I don't mean like aggressive, like, you know, running up the score. I mean like more physical. You're hitting a little harder than we're used you're hitting back more than we're used to seeing. And maybe it's just one game. Maybe it was just a few plays. But that was kind of the overall impression I got. I don't know if you took that away from it as well. I feel like the 
I tend to agree with you on that. I, I think, I mean, and maybe it's just the way that the sense of urgency with this team. Uh, you know, maybe there's a they realize what's at stake and they needed to set the tone right. And, and obviously, there's. I mean, I think it also attributes to the fact of the bad blood between the teams a little bit. Like you know, and and obviously. I didn't see a punch thrown uh, for that Seattle cornerback, but you know he did have his yeah. forearm on it was it was it Devontae Adams' throat. So you know, yeah. so that's I mean, you know whether or not that's a kick out or not, I'm not sure. But I mean, apparently that's what the refs saw and they and they booted him. But you know there you've seen and obviously it's never going to take back the NFC Championship game loss. But even in, in a lot of the rosters turned over. But I think the history of, of Seattle and Green Bay, maybe, you know, they wanted to prove a point early on and, and maybe they realized Eddie Lacy wanted to have a chip on his shoulder and he didn't, but he didn't do much in that game at all. You know, so maybe they realized they, they tried to stand up to that. And also, I mean, they're, you know, like the, the players that are on this team, you know, the physicality you mentioned, you know, Martellus Bennett, you know, after a first down, you know, players shove, you know, hits Rodgers, he pushes back. There's maybe that little bit more of that attitude that, you know, Mike Daniels has been talking about. You know, him and Bakhtiari, granted it was a friendly rivalry, but they had the title belt during training camp where, you know, who's going to outdo the other in terms of the offensive and defensive lines. You know, Mike Daniels has talked about it uh, on social media about how he, you know, the, the team, you know, the, the physicality, the mindset uh, is changed. So I, I, I think maybe it's coming to fruition now. If they can get past the injuries, uh, especially you know, it wasn't it wasn't Daniels questionable along with Bakhtiari and uh, yeah. and Bryce, uh, and, and so and Bulaga too with with the it sounds like the flu. I mean, it, it's looking like this team, you know, like has that physical element, maybe that edge. Uh, and that's it's only through one game. They could get blown out from against Atlanta tomorrow night, and then you and I are back to square wondering, wondering, you know, well, the secondary is not what it, what it was and whatnot, uh, among other topics. But uh, you know, I think coming out of the gates, they looked really solid. I mean, I think they looked solid, and yeah, you see, I think there was a little bit more of a, an emphasis, you know, and they they left the mark against the Seahawks. Yeah, no, I think you're right. By the way, um, you know, I think there's a lot that's said about the. Packer injury problems from year to year, but I did some research and I found that they only have injuries, real injury issues in years that start with two zero. So, <laughs> you know, so that otherwise, you know, on all other years they seem to be fine. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's like a, you know, it's like the birds flying south for the winter. The Packers are going to have a boatload of injuries. They managed to, to navigate some of those troubled waters, and I suppose as long as it's not key players, especially Aaron Rodgers, they've managed to figure it out. But man, and and I know that that you know, maybe it feels like there's more injuries because again we're in the trenches, you know, we're we're um, you know essentially hammered with Packer coverage, you know, sun up to sun down. So maybe if we lived in some other city, we'd find that the injuries are just as prevalent there. But it just seems like a lot of attack. So, um, yeah. but what do you think? Of, what do you think tomorrow? I think Atlanta wins the game. I think it's you know potentially they lose by ten. Um, and, and again, it doesn't mean that I don't think they're a good team. I mean, we've had this discussion over the five years we've been doing this, where sometimes I pick the Packers to lose, and people get mad and go, "You don't think the Packers are good?" No, I just don't like the matchup. I don't like the environment. I don't like the injuries that tackle. Uh, you know, I think if this game were at Lambeau and one of the two tackles were completely healthy, be it Bullock or Bakhtiari, I think the Packers beat them. But in Atlanta, opening a new stadium, 
celebrating their NFC championship from the year before. The crowd's going to be intense. I, I think Atlanta wins. I think so, too. I, I'm wondering with the yeah, – I think Atlanta wins. I'm thinking maybe like a 28-21 or 28-24 game. I, I'm just wondering. I think – I mean, obviously it's a, the grand stadium where, you know, the opening and, you know, Atlanta – Atlanta squeaked by the Bears, who obviously they're on the road for the first game of the year and whatnot. Out of road, out, outside, they're, they're, right. they're a little bit – I mean, last year they won a lot of road games, and that's why they – but by and large, that team's designed to play on turf. I mean, that's – that you know, and, and good general managers, they build their team based on factors like their stadium, uh, weather, their court – you know. So Atlanta's done a good job building that team around A, Matt Ryan, and B, their facility, you know. Um, so, and you know, as far as struggling up, week one is always a crapshoot. I think the only thing we can tell that's a trend because there's only been one game played in week two is Cincinnati's offense is terrible. You know, week one, they were bad. Week two, they cemented how bad they were. So, yeah, well, they fired their that, offensive coordinator yesterday. So, uh, I, you know, part of it, you know, though, uh, can, I, can I say though, like, I, I feel like. You let go of your starting left tackle. You let go of Kevin Zeitler, who goes to the Browns. You let go of most of your offensive line. Dalton doesn't have any. I, I'm not a Andy Dalton fan by any stretch of the imagination. Let me just get that out of the way. But he, they're not helping him by any chance by giving away all their offensive line and then dealing with the fact that their, their replacements aren't up to the par of what they had. You know, it's and the, you know the offensive weapons that have gone on to different places. Uh, you know, you may have AJ Green, but you know it. I don't. I mean, they haven't helped that offense whatsoever. No, no, they haven't. And and I don't understand how Marvin Lewis continues to keep his job. And and let me let me that let me give you some background on that because I'm not usually guy who's calling for coach to be fired. I'm just saying this. He's been there 15 seasons. Okay. And there's two things that have been consistent in his 15 years. His players are undisciplined. Dante Perfect was a perfect example. Perfect is perfect of an example when it comes to that, right? Two, he's not won a playoff game in 15 years. Can you think of any situation in this day and age of, of the NFL? In the past, when there was more loyalty to coaches and longer rebuilding, things of that, that's one thing. But can you think of any other situation in this NFL that we currently absorb and, consu- and consume where somebody could be with a team for 15 years and not win a playoff team and still have a job. Right. No, no it, it, it's definitely interesting, uh, to say the least. And I, I, I guess I, I hope, I mean, for the sake of, you know, you see what Alex Erickson's doing down there who had a big game return-wise, had a big game receiving-wise, uh, for that matter, uh, against the Texans on, on Thursday night. Uh, you know, you hope that the – that for his sake and need soldier and Shelton, the former Badger too, down in Cincy, uh, that, that who's on the practice squad right now. Yeah, you just hope that they, the, you know, that turns around uh, for their sake. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's it's not a good predicament they're in. Not at all. Not at all. So, um, so we'll see. But that's all we can. My point to that was that's all we can say about things carrying over from week one because we only have a small sample size. We've only seen one game. I'm interested to see his Jacksonville defense as good as it looks. I'm going to actually see them live and live in color. So we'll find that out. Um, I'll be at the game against Tennessee tomorrow. Um, nice. You know, so that, that's the question. Uh, 
what's going to happen with the Colts without Andrew Luck? Are they, and in, even if Andrew Luck's there, are they good enough for it to matter? Or, or are they just terrible? And maybe does that mean Andrew Luck, they, they don't even bring him back this year and let him heal? I, I mean, they look terrible against the Rams. And, yeah, Hosea didn't look good, but neither did the Colts' defense against the Rams. Now, granted, there are some short fields because of some turnovers, but it's still the Rams, and they put up a ton of points. So are the Colts one of the worst teams in football? The Jets, everybody says, is terrible. How Are the Raiders for real? Well, I mean, so those are things now as you start to roll into two, three, four weeks that you start to see the storylines evolve. I'm interested to see how those evolve. Exactly. So, uh, and, and we'll come back next week with – more from with uh, from from the Packers and obviously the Badgers. Real quick though, let's talk some Brewers before we have to take it home and you get back on the road safe and sound, brother. The uh, you know they they come back now and big inning, ten to two win. Neil Walker's grand slam uh, was epic. And, and watching that game, you could you know you have twenty three thousand or however many nineteen thousand people, what however many it was yesterday, and they just. Yeah, you know, sounds like you know forty thousand people, right? So I mean, that was a huge win uh, for there. It kept pace because the Cubs beat the Cardinals, Rockies won, uh, and so they are now on. You know, they're still in the hunt, and obviously uh, now in sole possession of second place in the NL Central. But it, I don't know, man. Well, like it, it's interesting. Yeah, a couple of things. One, they got a little bit of a gift on other people's misfortune. And what I mean by that is the Hurricane, Miami, they had a group against Milwaukee. Brewers, they take advantage of this. They need to sweep the series because they're getting a gift, okay? Um, because you mentioned it. Up one again, the Rockies were on the ropes a week ago, but they seem to write the ship now, right? Right. So that, that's great. I'm still concerned about this spring training feel of 40% of their rotation now. We know Anderson... Davies and Woodruff are on the starting rotation. But because the Brewers didn't make the trade that we said they should have made, there are a couple options. It wasn't just a sunny gray trade. We're not going to go back and, and beat that dead horse. Uh, but now, because Garza's been terrible and Jimmy Nelson's hurt, two out of every five starts, they're going with this three innings, two innings, the spring training feel. And what they're going to do is they're going to end up wearing out that bullpen. Now, I know that the answer is, from Greg Council, this is a means to an end. This is what we have to do because for whatever reason, they didn't want to make Josh Hader a starter when they called him up, whatever. Again, water under the bridge, right? But if they are able to get into the postseason, they're going to have to really hope that Anderson and Davies um, can go deep in the game because you're going to have a, a pretty beat-up bullpen. Um, but again, it does none of that matters if they don't get there, right? So you got to do what you got to do to get there, and then you worry about the other things later, you know. And, and that is the right strategy. I just wish that uh, Stearns had addressed the situation even before Nelson got hurt. They needed a guy, you know. We knew that they needed a guy before Nelson got hurt, and Nelson got hurt. They need two guys. So anyway. It's still been fun, and I didn't see the game because I was driving, and I listened to most of it, and I kept, you know, I lost signal as I was in Indiana right before the beginning. But I can only imagine, although the crowd was bigger when, when it happened a few years ago, that the Grand Slam 
And it reminds you of the Ryan Braun Grand Slam in their last playoff season. Yeah, that's a... It's sort of, but, I mean, they're already up, I think is the big thing. They're already up, and that, you know, and then it, it turned into the bigger Grand Slam. So, I mean, it, the place exploded. Like, it, you know, and Brian Anderson even said on Twitter that it was, you know, one of those moments from this season that he won't forget. But... You still, in my opinion, like, it's not the Brown. I mean, there was so much behind that Brown one where, you know, like, it's in the postseason for the first time, uh, you know, in, in decades. It was the – there was a lot of bent-up emotion, I think, with that one. The Walker one, like, I mean, what makes this impressive, I think, is the simple fact that this team was was supposed to maybe win 70, 75 games, and that was it, if they're lucky. Uh, and and yeah. so I mean, and with the lowest overall baseball, I didn't have them winning that many. I had them winning seventy-one, So, um, no, you're right, and it's been a great story. I I still though I I'm pointing my finger at Stearns, and I like what he's done with the rebuild, and I'm not suggesting that he's the wrong guy for the job, but you still have to take advantage of windows. The Neil Walker trade was great; it should have happened three weeks earlier. But they were scuffling at that position and just bleeding out at that position, whether it be VR or Sogard who had cooled off by that time, just terrible that they waited that long. You know, they didn't address the rotation. We talked about that, you know. Um, but, uh, but it still has been fun, and it still is nice to and, – and you hope, you just it makes you hope more and more and more that their belief in the system and the players they didn't want to give up to get pitching, even though they have this – wealth of talent in the outfield and in the middle infield, that it pays off, man. Because if it doesn't, you hate to think they missed their business. You know what I mean? So, um, so we'll see. But it still, it still hasn't taken away the fact that it's fun. We can still be critical about, or I can at least still be critical about things and things I would like to see different. But I certainly didn't expect any of this. The other thing I threw out there, and again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? But believe was terrible you recall at the beginning of the year and I had asked that they remove him like two weeks before they finally did and in those two weeks he blew three games if they would have made the switch then when people were talking about it they'd be you know up in the wild cover. again hindsight being what it is but this missteps is in a, in a long season you can find because baseball so long and, and arduous and grueling you can always find moments to point to and I think that's one if they don't make it and they lose this thing by a game or two, and I boy, if you would have only made that switch a closer a little bit earlier, you know, if you would have only made the trade for Fox a little bit earlier, those are things that you'll question as a fan, especially someone like me who's just passionate dissector of baseball and, and the Brewers being the, the team I've, I've been, you know, have been closest to my heart forever and ever and ever, and they've broken my heart so many times. Obviously, you're going to see why there's passion and, and thoughts and sometimes angst even when things have gone well like that. So. Yeah, no, it, it's a, there's a lot of second guessing. I mean, I part of me still feel, I mean, if they make the playoffs, that should, I mean, Craig Council should get manager of the year, hands down. I mean, I know what, the, I mean, Dodgers have slipped a bit, all that stuff, but you take a team that, sh that was going to win maybe 70, like I said, 70, 75 games, and, and now 
with where they are in the standings and, and with games of play, they've surpassed that. Uh, they have a great shot at the very least to hit 500 uh, going until the end of the year. And But, I mean, they're in the thick of it for the NL Central, even though I think the Cubs will still pull it out. But, you know, the wild card, they're still, you know, in it as well. It's a testament to just what they've done, it, you know, as an organization. And, and the thing is, though, like next year, I can guarantee you that, you know, they're gonna, they're, there's going to be greater emphasis. There's going to be a lot more expectations with, with the crew. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the off season to, to supplement the roster, which is rich with talent. Uh, but they have yeah. obviously areas to address. Well, and we'll see about fans. I mean, council gets some consideration. I think whether they make the playoffs or not, I think that not. I mean, Arizona has been amazing. And again, they weren't supposed to be as good as they were. Um, and council still with the juggling of the lineup. And, uh, you know, it is what he is. I'll tell you what, when they're, I still believe when they're ready to contend, like really be, when they think they're major contenders, because they're contending now, but when the team thinks they're, they're major contenders, it's going to be a situation like without the Cubs, where they're going to bring in a different manager, a different style. I think Council is great for what they're trying to do, the expectations were low. But guess what? After this year, you know the expectations are going to be higher next year. The bar is going to be set higher. So now it's a little bit more pressure. Because let's be honest, coming into the season, how much pressure did, did Craig Council have? Uh, how much was on his shoulders for this team to, to do well? You know? So we'll see now next year when, again, people are going to be, hey, let's take the next step. If you win 84 games this year, you should win 90 next year, right? I mean, in, I know that that's not how it works. I'm just saying as far as expectations and what the fans are going to expect, we'll see. Uh, I'm with you there. So it, it is very, I mean, it, it, expectations will be strong next year. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what they do. And Stearns is a smart man. There's depth at key positions. So uh, I guess we'll just see. I mean, like I said, we still got plenty to talk about this year, uh, depending upon what happens. And plenty of NL Central matchups that will decide uh, who plays in October. So uh, before we let you go, uh, before we get you back on the road, brother, anything else that you want to pop in real quick before we take it home? No, no, that covers it. I'm looking forward to I won't get to watch the Badger game. I will watch the Pack game because um, it's a night game, so I'll be back from the Jacksonville Jaguars game in time for that. Um, I can't wait. I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for a clean sweep. Brewers win all three, Packers win, Badgers win. I think it's all possible. I think the back, the Packers have the toughest road to hope. So we'll find out. We'll find all that out in the next 36 hours. And on that note, guys, we'll t- check back in with you next week. Uh, and just, like I said, uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the weather when, uh, here in Wisconsin before it gets, I think tonight's supposed to rain, but whatever. Uh, but enjoy the weekend. Enjoy uh, just enjoying your Sunday for a little bit before the game. Put the kids to bed. Uh, and enjoy some Sunday night football uh, with the Packers and Falcons. Uh, And then, uh, obviously, stay tuned with us next week. We'll recap the Badgers' uh, outcome, what lies in store for them for the bye week, and what needs to be done, Uh, along with, like I said, recaps of the Packers. We talk some, obviously, more Brewers uh, and anything else that uh, piques our fancy. So, you guys have a great weekend. Scotty, safe travels, brother. Uh, for the Polish Rifle, Scott Wisniewski, this is Jake Koparowski. Tune in next week to another edition of the Kielbasa Kings Sports Extravaganza.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.